Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and on this podcast, we seek out the world's best researchers, coaches, support staff, teachers, and athletes to better understand the process of long-term athlete development. Don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform and 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. That's LTADVIP50 at the LTAD Network Hub website. This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets. Just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the LTD Network Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Jessica Spendlove. Jess is one of Australia's most respected and experienced sports dietitians. She's accumulated more than 30 seasons working with various professional team sports, world record holders, Olympic athletes, corporate organizations, schools, and active adolescents. Over the last decade, Jess has worked with many professional sports teams in Australia, including the GWS Giants, Cronulla Sharks, Giants Netball, Sydney Kings, Western Sydney Wanderers, GWS Giants, Female AFL, and New South Wales Waratahs. She's also consulted with Olympic athletes, the Australian Defence Force School of Operations, high-profile personalities, large corporations, and respected brands. Jess, welcome to the podcast. It's awesome to be able to cross the time barrier and uh, line this up. Rob, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's nice to see you in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, looking outside your balcony window, I'm envious of the, the Aussie sunshine because it is freezing cold here in Scotland. It's finally got its act together. We've had like a year of rain, which is very un Sydney like in particular. But yeah, it's uh, nice and sunny at the moment. So before we, we dive into your day-to-day -day work as a dietitian and talk about the various topics to do with nutrition, et cetera, give us a bit of a background on you. What was your physical activity and sporting kind of background growing up? What were the sports you, you delved into? Yeah, so I guess the, the catalyst for everything I do today is really about winding back the clock a good 25 years plus. Um, so for me, I was the high-performing, active, academic adolescent, so... I did a lot of sports, but my kind of main sport was was swimming. So I really get the pre-school sessions and the post-school sessions and the driving all around to get to training and the juggling act and, and really the juggling act by the whole family. So, you know, for me, that really was my lived experience. And I'd love to say I was just 
nailing it and that's why I'm on this mission to kind of spread that message but um, probably like most people the reason I became interested in nutrition was because I wasn't I wasn't nailing it I needed to go and see a sports dietitian um, and it wasn't because you know, I was restricting or anything deliberate. It was purely not grasping the amount of energy and, and food and nutrition that I needed to consume being someone going through puberty and then training four hours a day. So that really kind of was the catalyst. And I was like, well, I like food. I like people. I like travel. Oh, this sports dietitian thing seems like a really good, you know, career path. And then yeah, I guess fast forward, you know, after high school, like I did stop swimming in my in my later years, you know, year 11 and 12. Um, well, that's what we call it down here anyway. And um, and then moved, moved into university. So I have always been like an active, active person, but that really kind of high level training was really in my my adolescent years. And I wouldn't say I chose swimming, it chose me and, and then away we went. <laughs> mm. And anyone who works in the support services in sport, whether it's sports psychology or sports science, SNC nutrition, dietitian, knows that you you spend a long time accumulating experience across internships here, there, and everywhere. So what did that look like for you as you were coming out and establishing your kind of reputation and your portfolio as a dietitian? What were some of the stops along the way? Yeah, so five years at university, two degrees, um, a year in between the two, and then graduated, ready to to get stuck in and it was kind of like okay there's no opportunities because there's so many of us so where to um fortunately and I feel like it was a little bit serendipitous if that's the word um but or meant to be but my dietitian when I was um a teenager ended up being the lady who I did my research degree with in my master's in the last semester and I when I saw she was doing a research paper I was like I think I don't even know how many times I emailed her basically being like, you're the reason I am doing this. Like, please choose me for this opportunity. And I know things have changed a little bit, but um, when I went through uni, there really wasn't any sports nutrition. It was really like one lecture. And then if you chose to do a research, um, your research semester on it. So she became my mentor, um, long story short. And you know, I actually went and worked as a clinical dietitian for three years. I was pretty fortunate a few months out to start working in the hospital system, inpatient, outpatient. But during that time, it was like any and every opportunity, whatever shape or form in the in the realm of sport, I was putting my hand up. And it did help that I had made that connection. Um, so the dietitian was Helen O'Connor or the late Helen O'Connor now, but very renowned sports dietitian, not only in Australia, but worldwide. So you know, I really have her to thank for everything. Um, but also, you know, I think I put my hand up for a good few years just saying, whatever you need help with, please like think of me. That turned into doing some private practice around my hospital job. That turned into doing some paid presentations. And then I think it was about three years out of university, the first kind of opportunity with the Cronulla Sharks popped up, which was a very, 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 very tiny contract, but it was still a contract and it was a paid contract. And then that was really the the starting point for the next kind of decade and everything that was to come. Mm, yeah, pretty much every nutritionist or dietitian I know or I've crossed paths with is that's the sort of story of there's, you know, five hours a week with this club and 10 hours a week with this club and some one-to-one stuff here. And it's, you know, a kind of multiple consultancy kind of roles tends to be the, the name of the game in that side of things, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It really, you know, if I look at all of the, the, the sports and the codes I ended up working with. I mean, in, in another profession in, in um, 
professional sport, like a physio, strength and conditioning coach, a lot of that wouldn't be possible because those roles are full-time, whereas um, in the performance nutrition space, and it is changing, like it is a really varied kind of spectrum, but the more kind of common thing that you will see is that consultancy role, like that one day a week or two days a week or a few hours a week type role, which is why I was able to transverse so many different so many different codes, um, you know, and I should say like over time, like a lot of those roles did grow. And then I ended up being like a more head of nutrition, senior dietitian and getting um, a combination of interns and paid juniors in to kind of spread that workload because, you know, I was on a mission to grow the, the importance of nutrition in the professional sporting space, which probably aligns with what I'm doing now in the kind of um, not gen pop space, but not just in pro sport, just in environments, you know, sporting organizations, school programs, corporate environments, trying to scale that importance. So I didn't want to just grow the importance and go, oh, sorry, I'm working with three other clubs right now. I can't do that. It was like, okay, how do we get creative, leverage expertise, pay people who want to do this role and grow that kind of, you know, grow the capacity of the role. So yeah, I really loved all of that quite a lot. Mm. And really interesting, as you said, kind of crossing codes between basketball with the Sydney Kings and the GWS Giants and AFL and Cronulla Sharks, Sydney Wanderers for football. But the one that really stood out to me was with the Australian Defence Force. Are you allowed to talk about that at all? What, what did that look like? Yeah, so I think I'm allowed to talk high level about it. So that that contract is still active um, and the majority of that role is um, like I'm engaged, you know, once or a few times a year to go and present to certain um, RIOs or cohorts. So um, the School of Special Operations, which is essentially like, you know, your special forces or commandos. So it's going in and talking about the importance of performance nutrition um, to them and how they can apply that and leverage that. And, you know, it, it's always interesting because it's obviously like, well, there's so much of what they do that's controlled and it's not like they can just control what they eat all the time. So it's like looking at obviously when they do have control and looking at that that short-term and longevity piece of nutrition and, you know, those compounding effects of controlling the controllables and the benefits that can have. And, you know, for me, when I talk about performance, like, yes, that's physical, but I'm talking mental and cognitive performance as well. And and all of that is like feeding into the health and the well-being of the person. So. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, really enjoy that. And it's it's not consistent. It's like an ad hoc based role. But yeah, that's something I've done for the last few years and I still do every now and I'm still ongoing. Mm. I think mm. nutrition's an interesting area, um, because there are a lot of different approaches. So like, you know, obviously if you've got a five hour contract and, and the approach the club wants an approach of one on one, there's only necessarily five to ten athletes you can potentially impact versus doing some wider education pieces, which can be a bit hit and miss as well in terms of how much athletes engage. So what's been your experience of that delivery? Is that a, a mix, uh, you know, a mix of, of that kind of one-on-one versus approach versus the group stuff, uh, coach education as well? What's been the kind of uh, environments that you've delved into with these different clubs and organizations? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's changed. You learn a lot and you evolve. And I guess the good thing about what I did, like, I look at it and go, okay, that's nearly a career in a decade. And I guess like I'm someone who I'm a bit of an overthinker, but I'll also just do test refine. So because I was doing it in so many environments, I was probably able to learn and refine faster, but to your point, it's a hybrid. Um, And you've got to just, depending on the resourcing you've got available. So, you know, one of my roles ended up being a full-time role with that hybrid 
you know, staff model that I spoke about when others were a few hours a week. So it's like, okay, how do we impact everyone? So we look at the environment, what systems and processes can we put in place? We look at multiple forms of education. So, um, you know, I didn't have an online program then, which I know we're going to speak about, but it was kind of the the start of the makeup of a lot of that. It was, you know, the education, like whether it was resources, webinars, presentations, infographics or posters just to display around the place whether it was the the group education in that you know in-person or virtual kind of sense and whether it was that one-on-one support and also then educating the the staff and I know that sounds like a lot and it wasn't doing all of that at the one time for a five-hour contract um but it was kind of periodizing and weaving that in and I'm a big believer you know pick your low-hanging fruit, nail that, and then go to that next level or, um, you know, what's that system or process that's going to help everyone move the needle, not just your your one or two players. So multiple kind of hybrid approach, but, um, yeah, that's kind of how I went about things. And as I said, was lucky enough to test it in a, quite a few different groups to then really refine that that framework that I then continued to roll out. Yeah, I think that's a really important piece uh, that, that people can kind of gloss over a bit with stuff is is often, and, and it's been my experience with nutrition as well, is you realize, okay, everyone's not a unicorn. A lot of people are, are doing the same things wrong. Like we've got 10 athletes who are missing breakfast. Okay, there's a theme here. We should get these guys together and talk about the importance of breakfast rather than individually addressing them one-on-one. And that was one of the things I realized early on is you kind of can have this scattergun approach of going, okay, here's the thing that I can see multiple people are falling down on. And there's one person who maybe has a very specific issue that we, you know, needs to be referred on to a one-on-one. But actually a lot of times, as you said, there's a low hanging fruit that you can think, okay, we, you know, might have this athlete who wants to talk about this really specific supplement, but actually I know the bigger, the bigger issue is they're completely underfueling, and that's irrelevant until we get this bigger problem solved. 100%. It's, um, you know, and I think you learn, I think the more, the more experience you get, the less, not even refined, I want to say, because it's refined, but with strategy, but it's just more simplistic you get. So I all, I will never, ever forget the very first like professional athlete I sat down with. I was so excited. I think I spent two hours the day before writing out all these, you know, perfect breakfasts, perfect snacks as per textbook and, you know, paper and 20 grams protein, 50 grams carb, all these things, sat down with him, okay, you know, Wade, tell me about what you eat in a day. Tell me what you have for breakfast before you come to training. This was an NRL player. I don't eat breakfast. And there I've got my like seven breakfasts with all the protein and the car. And it was like the, the, the fastest lesson I ever learned where it's like, okay, no assumptions. Everyone's an individual progress over perfection. How do we start to form the habit? So for me, you know, I'm really big on the whole habit formation piece and that is really the approach I take with nutrition and looking at behavior change. Like how can we form a habit? You know, what does the athlete want to work on? That's always the biggest kind of key on where you should start. And then if not, you know, choose the thing, you know, that's going to move the needle the most, which some of that also comes with practice, but you touched on it fueling 100%. That is the thing that they will feel and see the difference on initially. So they will, you know, while their goal might be, I want to put on, x amount of muscle or i want to you know improve my speed like those things take time they take repeatable change to kind of get that that objective measure but when i talk about subjective measures how they 
feel each day, turning up to every single training session, feeling energized, not just some good and some not so good, having more energy in the session, less sore after the session. That's the stuff which they can grasp straight away. And when you kind of like dial into that, you get them aware of that, then that just starts to kind of shift from that deliberate, intentional, I need to focus on it to just like, oh, this is something I now do. Um, And as I kind of say to people, like, you're human, you're not going to do it all the time because you might have had a disorganized morning or you might have forgot to pack X. I don't see that as a bad thing because when you then fall back into old habits for whatever reason, that's when you see and feel the real difference and you go, oh, wow, this is something I really need to keep doing. So, yeah, that's kind of the approach I take. It's interesting that you use the word disorganized because I, my kind of thought process around nutrition has really changed over the last few years. Now, I'm not a dietitian. I've done a few certifications in nutrition and, and obviously there's a difference between having a specialist and, and, you know, someone with a more broad knowledge. But one of the things I've realized is that actually a lot of times, I don't know if you agree or disagree with me on this, I've realized nutrition is actually an organization problem. Now, actually, the person potentially knows what they're supposed to do but they weren't bothered to spend 10 minutes putting their menu together or their shopping list or to do a weekly shop. So it's now this last minute thing on the way to training or on the way to school. Do do you agree, disagree? How much do you think organization plays a part in nutrition? Yeah, I think it's a massive part. I think it is the execution. I think the knowledge, I think most people have an idea. I think they're still like, maybe it's refining that, but it's still like, yeah, I should eat before, I should eat after, probably in 30 to 60 minutes. But yeah, have they then gone and executed that? So I always talk about that two pieces to that knowledge piece. Like, yes, knowing, but doing. And that doing is way more important than even the knowing because they're either not doing it, they're doing it suboptimally, or they're doing it on the fly and it's probably costing them so much more money. So um, yeah, and you know, I really like the kind of saying, which you may have heard before, um, you know, nutrition really is a weapon when it's used correctly. It can really enhance performance, but when it's done poorly it can blunt it and it's so true I did actually use that saying with the special forces guys and I was like probably the wrong target audience as it was coming out of my mouth I was like probably the wrong target audience for that quote but you know I think for everybody else it it really it really summarizes it perfectly so do you want to use it to its potential or do you just want to kind of be like oh yeah nutrition something I do and not get the most out of it and therefore probably blunt you know, the purpose of why you train, which is to get fitter, faster, stronger, more accurate, whatever it might be. That really nicely brings us on to one of the things you wanted to talk about, which was what are your thoughts on nutrition priorities and what really matters versus what people think matters? Totally. I love this. It's, you know, the classic inverted triangle of like what we want to spread the message on versus what people want to grab hold to and you know, I get it. Like I've probably fall, fallen victim in, in other areas, not nutrition, but you want the quick fix. So you get, you know, the shiny stuff, the, um, you know, if I think about it in a business sense, like what's going to help you grow your profit or scale your business or whatever, rather than like, okay, foundations, what do I need systems and processes? So nutrition's the same, like that supplement that you might've heard about, which might not even be appropriate for your age, is, you know, right at the top of the summit. So I have a framework I talk about. It's kind of like a mountain. It's like base camp, you know, and this is where we want to start. We actually need to start at base camp. We need to assess the every day. So how many times a day do you eat is how many times a day you have an opportunity to optimize your performance. Um, So it's, you know, meeting general guidelines at a minimum for like, you know, your fruits and vegetables, which 
as a high-performing active adolescent or athlete, you actually need more, but we don't actually know what that is. So at least meet the minimum, which, you know, I know in Australia, less than that 5% of adolescents are doing, you know, looking at the fueling and the recovery. So even if your every single meal and snack isn't optimized, and when I say that, I'm not about creating robots. I'm about creating how do you like to eat? You know, do we have the protein? Do we have the carbs? Do we have the colors? Just, you know, edit what you're currently doing. But even if that, you know, is a little bit of a step too far, fuel for the work you're going to do. So set yourself up for success with, you know, a, a primer or a pre-training snack. So, you know, I'm really big on, you know, getting that fueling piece nailed um, and also then that recovery. And if you're at least doing that, Plus also maybe some intrafueling if you're training twice a day or if you're training for more than 90 minutes at a high intensity. If you at least get that right, that will at least move the needle in terms of your performance. And then, yeah, looking at my fruits and my veggies, you know, then moving into other things like the gut health piece and all of that. But you need to really get that down pat before you even then kind of go up to like, okay, well, what's my game day nutrition? What's my tournament nutrition? And then before you even consider like the sprinkles or the potential supplements that might work if you're doing all the rest of it right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's, it's the same in the training world. Like there's a, everyone wants the stuff that's sexy, right? Everyone wants to talk about this 1% thing, but no one's talking about the 99%. <laughs> well, actually, it's not that sexy. It's doing the basics repeatedly for a long period of time. Um, but that's not what's on the Instagram highlight reel or that's not the latest supplement people are talking about. It's really interesting you mentioned fruit and veg because that reminded me, I actually grew up in Perth in Western Australia. So uh, am I right in thinking that it's still seven fruit and veg in Australia that's the recommended daily dose? Yeah, two to three serves of fruit and like five serves of vegetables. Yeah. So you might be interested to know in the UK it's only five. Um, in total? Yes, in okay. total. So it shows you, of... yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's funny because people might be uh, intrigued to realize that, as you said, people aren't eating that, but people definitely, definitely aren't eating fire over here. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting where the thresholds are. People maybe what people thought was realistic versus what's optimal. I don't know. Um, but That's yeah, it's it. interesting because I have athletes that don't hit five a day. Um, I remember one. I had one, and this is an under twenty international rugby player who would hit. We'd be lucky at five a week. Um, mm. That would have been a good week. Um, so it shows you even at, you know, you're absolutely right. It's the fundamentals that, that unfortunately people want to gloss over and focus on the, the silver bullet frequently. And, you know, I get it. Like a dietitian saying you need to eat more fruits and veg, like boring. So, you know, if it can really be like, how is this going to help me as an athlete? Okay. Well, there's a, there's a role in immunity. There's a role in recovery. So, you know, definitely athletes who, have higher intakes of your your vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants are the athletes that do have lower levels of like muscle soreness. And, and so, you know, while protein helps like the integrity of the muscle to recover, you know, those, those antioxidants and those vitamins and minerals play that really important role in, in clearing some of those damaged cells and, you know, definitely helping in that overall like soreness piece. So I find connecting with them like that, but also like I have a saying that I, I feel like I need to trademark it. I do say it a lot, but it's if a meal or snack is only brown and white, it's not complete. So it's just getting them to look at their meal and go, oh, it's brown and white. Like, what can I add? And I don't, I'm never prescriptive. It's never like, this is the best fruit. This is the best vegetables, which I know you wouldn't subscribe to either. It's kind of like, whatever you can add to that, that's colorful. That's a win. Let's start with that. So 
I find that gets a bit of traction. <laughs> mm. That's really interesting because that actually that uh, that was really aligned with my philosophy around like strength and conditioning in terms of like I, I came out of uni thinking the same thing, like all the complex stuff, I want to make everyone faster, fitter, stronger. And I realized actually the biggest gift I can give to you as an athlete, especially if you're a team sports player, is more time on task instead of being stuck on the sideline in the boot or in a cast or whatever it is because you got injured. It's the same thing, you know. If, if eating more fruit and veg helps prevent illness, that's more time on task, right? That's instead of being sick at home in bed, you're on the training pitch getting better. Mm. And it's the same thing. But as you said, it's going away from that boring thing of eat five fruit and veg to here's how this is actually going to help you be better at rugby or mm. football or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, definitely breaking it down. And then those fundamentals do become a bit sexier, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, with that, like, I'd love to think there might be a day when nutrition will just be, people will just be like, okay, yeah, actually I do eat like four, five, six, seven times a day. Like other than sleep, it's probably the second or equal most important piece of my performance puzzle. Like let's prioritize that. But I do definitely see that it's once the issue happens, that's when the they want to address it or you know just it's a lot it's a it's particularly that if I look at males and females as well you know there's quite a lot of research even just in terms of that nutrition knowledge at different age points and you know those kind of two different types I was talking about the knowing and the doing but I often do see it's at that later piece of that career where it, they're looking for that that thing that will prolong their career or, or it just starts to become more important in their life so I'm like if I can just move that needle a few years back or start to, you know, infiltrate when people are at school so that it's not the first time they're hearing it in their 20s or their mid-20s, that will that will really help them not only be a better athlete but just a better person as well. So, yeah, um, I guess the more we talk about it, the more we hear it, the more it might cut through. But, yeah, I do tend to find it's like, oh, there's an issue, okay, I need to address it rather than like getting on the front foot with it. But coming back to that statement, like it is – a weapon you can use it to your potential and you know one of the services I offer now in terms of one-on-ones is like premium coaching and you know I think about I, I kind of have three different groups and active adolescence is you know really high performing is is one group I do work with and I've had parents say to me you know within a few weeks the coaches are noticing like what's the difference like there's something you know they're they're running out the game or the the pre-season you know, longer or harder or faster than what they used to. So this external people are starting to notice the difference and they're kind of like, I feel like it's our secret weapon. I'm like, it is definitely your secret weapon. So, mm. um, yeah, hopefully the message of this starts to infiltrate more people. Yeah, I think nutrition definitely is an underutilized strategy until it's, you know, bad body composition or I can't put on body weight or I've got too much body weight that people start to think about it. And I think it's similar to like mental performance. You know, the sports psychologist often doesn't get brought into things are going really badly. Um, and actually it can be a proactive tool. Like you don't, it doesn't need to wait for, you know, the stuff to hit the fan before you go, maybe you should have some sort of visualization of routine before you take a penalty kick. Have you ever thought about, you know, what is your routine or how do you set up for a lineup? You know, actually engage your brain instead of just rocking up and throwing it in. Um, and I think it's the same with nutrition. People, it's until it, you know, things go wrong and they're like, oh, why am I not progressing as well as I want to instead of getting on the front foot? So we've talked a bit about fueling, a bit about fruit and veg. What do you think are the next sort of things in your in your checklist for, you know, if parents or coaches are listening, thinking, okay, what are, you know, the top three to five priorities that I want to get across or, or people need to be thinking about? What would be the other things in your checklist? Yeah, so if I think about like high-performing behaviours, you know, that again, like I've managed to work with 
thousands of like professional athletes, which is pretty incredible. And it's definitely like you start to see the trends on who's doing what and, you know, that that noise is just a lot narrower for those those really high-performing ones. So just on the body composition point of view, like, you know, I feel like athletes get away with so much for so long when they're kind of cheating the system, but then those strategies stop working. And my thing, I'm like, well, preseason isn't a Weight Watchers program. Like we're actually here to move the needle forward, not just always be in this like deficit lose strip. So, um, but yeah, in answer to your question, like putting it into practice, what does that look like? Number one, breakfast. So it's the biggest meal that people struggle with. So they don't have it. They don't know what to do. They feel sick. But for me, I'm like, it's just a habit. It's just putting, being intentional, knowing you need to do it and then working on it. So I always say to people, okay, so when was the last time that you won a grand final on the day one of preseason? And then they go, and it's like, okay, nutrition, breakfast, getting better at it is exactly the same. So it's just, you're like in nutrition training right now. You're training your stomach, you're training your brain to get familiar with doing it. And, you know, if we can get that message to particularly like the adolescents, because if they ever do get in any kind of professional program, that becomes your job and breakfast becomes what you do before you go to do your main sessions. So it is incredibly important. Um, And if you're at school, it's the thing that's setting your day up to focus in the classroom and learn and then also go to training in the afternoon. So that's definitely number one. Two is looking at snacks and like snacking for success. So that's kind of my other massive area people I'm not doing, I'm not sure when like a piece of fruit or a muesli bar or a bag of popcorn became a snack, Um, but it's certainly not for like any kind of, you know, active person. So for me, I always talk about, I call it all the elements, but it's basically my way of talking about macros and micros. So the four elements, protein, carbs, colors, and then healthy fats. And for a snack, I say you need to aim to have three of those, ideally four, if you have four, A plus, um, but you want the protein, you know, and I say for adolescents, 10 to 15 grams and for adults, 15 to 20. And if you're professional, you know, 20 and over, Um, but then you want a presence of whole grain carbohydrates. So, you know, maybe some crackers, um, maybe some cereal, depending on what it is. And then you want some color there. So Thinking about those snacks, and I, I term them everyday snacks, so they might be like your morning snack if you're in the office or recess if you're at school or for a professional athlete, like a snack that's more than two hours away from a training session. And then also knowing there's actually other types of snacks to have in your performance toolkit. So having a pre-training snack, which is around that one to two hours out, and that's where we really shift into like performance mode for that session. So really big focus on carbs, protein, less of a priority. Like some people may still need it. Some people might not. That's a really individual, like how does that kind of stomach, how does that sit with you? You know, for my athletics kind of athletes, they might struggle more so than like a swimmer or a team sport. Um, And then having a primer and that's if all else fails, having a primer 30 to 60 minutes before a session will start to kick your body into that kind of preparation to to perform in the session. So that's purely a carbohydrate. If it's some colors, because fruit is a carb. So fruit, dried fruit, might be crackers, um, might be some pretzels. There's some really popular options. And aiming for that kind of 0.5 to 1 grams per kilogram of carbohydrates, which, you know, depending on what you weigh, maybe 30 to 60 grams. So yeah, I've got a lot of really great resources on my Instagram, which I know we'll talk about at the end. So you can you can check that out. 
Um, but yeah, breakfast, they don't skip it. They snack for success. And if I maybe give a third one, I'd say the other kind of from a nutrition sense, like there's a fair few more, but just in terms of top three, they don't skip meals. So I guess it feeds into both of those. But, you know, this notion of periodized nutrition is really about having a nutrition strategy and and just executing it. It's a, kind of a fancy way of saying that. So, you know, a high day, a low day, a medium day. At the end of the day, know what your baseline framework is. So for some people, you know, for, for most, you know, athletes, it's three meals and it's probably going to be two or three snacks. And then it's just about potentially dialing that up if it's, you know, a medium or a high day. So again, do you need to add in an extra primer or an extra recovery snack? Or do you just need to maybe adjust the ratios of your plate and have more carbohydrates on your higher days? So um, I know more isn't always possible because there needs to be that comfort level. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. They go, oh, I need to have more. And then it's really unpleasant process. And then they don't do that. So that's where we need to get, you know, strategic. Can we use liquids? Can we just adjust the portion of what we're having to kind of it be more supportive of what you're about to do? So, yeah, I'd say they're the three biggest things, people. In terms of where to start, that's where you need to start and that will really move the needle forward quite a bit. Yeah, I find it's really interesting to talk. Like, I mean, previously I was working in the Scottish Rugby Academy for five years. So a big, a big element for, for guys was around, you know, especially around 15, 16, 17, 18, trying to put on body weight. And I found it really interesting because it's exactly what you're saying there. I kind of said, well, how many times a day are you eating? And you get guys, oh, I'm eating three times a day. Well, clearly that's not going to be enough, is it? Oh, but I'm eating enough. Well, you're obviously not because you're telling me you're eating all this stuff, but you're not putting on body weight. So something's not correct. And I found as a simple rule of thumb, people who were fueling on six times a day magically put on body weight. And it worked for like nearly a hundred people. But there was the one guy who's like, oh yeah, but it's not working for me. And like, well, that's because you're not actually having breakfast. You're, not, you're missing stuff here. How much do you think, and I know people are different, like you get some people who love a routine and like, yeah, these are my go-to six, no no issues. But they, have you ever come, I mean, you definitely will have, it's a stupid question, come across those athletes who want variety every day, like I want something different every day. And how much more difficult does that make nutrition? I think they, um, I've never, well, to be honest, I don't think I've ever met someone who's like every single meal and snack needs to be different. Like variety, yes, but that's also where coming back to that all the elements approach is really important because it's like if you know what a protein is, you know, your animal and your plant sources, you know what your carbohydrates are, literally everything except for chicken breast and spinach, basically, you know what your colors are and you know what your healthy fats are, that gives them the autonomy to mix and match things so that really really helps and again it's like okay meals all the elements everyday snacks most of those elements pre-training snacks and prime and that then really helps shape that so you definitely get the mix range you get those that are just too too rigid and do the same thing every day and you're actually like okay variety is really important you know let's for the gut for your gut health you know let's let's try that and just for you like as a human and enjoyment um and then, yeah, those ones. But I do find that that approach, rather than being like, oh, it's pasta, it's stir-fry night, it's that, that gives them that autonomy to mix and match. So I think that approach really works. And it's it's real life. It's it's not, oh, you know, probably the only thing I'll ever be more prescriptive on is the amount of protein. Um, and while I might talk in amounts, you know, 20 grams, 40 grams, like I'll give, you know, ready reckoners or posters, which which have that example. And again, I convert a lot of that to infographics for my um 
my Instagram. So I will be prescriptive on that because the research around that is really clear. Um, but the rest of it, it's okay. If they're eating out, like I have a lot of athletes that like to eat out and they can afford to eat out. So is what it is like, yes, trying to get them to cook a bit more, um, is, is a priority, but it's also like, okay, well, that's what they do. Meet them on their level, help them choose the best options when they're doing that. So that plate model, all the elements really helps with the variety piece and helping people adapt to however they like to live their lives. Mm. I'm intrigued to get your opinion. One of the things that I, I find a lot of young athletes struggle with is, um, you know, that, that, a physically active athlete who's maybe you know their best mate isn't that sort of level but they eat fairly similar and when you kind of dig into it you say well actually you need to be feeling a bit more well, I'm just I, I'm not hungry so they're still thinking about uh food more from a you know I don't know almost a survival point of my stomach's grumbling versus oh I've got a session in a couple of hours they need to make sure I've got some energy in the tank and um, but this kind of dynamic of doing what their mates are doing but their mates calorie output or demand activity wise is nowhere near what they're doing Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I find it's a it's a harder conversation with not and not to I never want to generalize. Everyone's an individual and you always treat it, but I do find like female athletes, particularly in those like teenage years, like it's a tricky space to navigate. I think, you know, I remember what it was like for me. That was probably my experience 20 years ago. I was eating a bit more or probably the same as what all my friends were and that was like, I was like, I'm not actually hungry. I'm not, you know, so it was that training yourself piece. But I think when you dive deep and maybe that's a limiting factor of needing to have that one-on-one conversation, but when you dive deep, it might be like, oh, I do get really, I feel better in my morning sessions than my afternoon sessions, or yeah, I really fatigue across the week. So there's always some sort of little indicator and that's that's your entry point it's like okay well like you know imagine if your afternoon sessions felt as good as your morning or imagine if you were finishing the week how you were starting the week and again it's um you know educating them on on that and having that conversation so and I guess some of it's backing yourself like the way that you need to talk to an athlete is very different to an average person like and I learned that as well it's not about Sometimes it's presenting them with options, but it's presenting them with a solution and then choosing what they're, do you want to go road A, B or C? It's not, oh, maybe you could do this. Maybe They don't want maybes. They want definites and they want solutions. So um, I think that's why for me, I can only really work with high performing individuals because like doing it for so long, you get, you get used to talking to people like that, which <laughs> gem pop maybe isn't, isn't what they want. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting one, especially when you're working with youth athletes, because I think uh, it can be a bit more complicated potentially because you've got, you know, you may, you may, it may be a group workshop with a squad, but mm. actually it's not them buying the shopping or making the shopping list. It's, it's mum and dad or the parents of guidance or whoever they're with or they're at a, you know, even worse, they're at a boarding school. So they have zero autonomy over what's put in front of them on portion sizes, et cetera. What, what's your your kind of strategy around that that parent athlete dynamic of okay here's what they need and actually maybe they need a bit of a different you know provision than the other mm. children who aren't doing that and how do we get that on the shopping list etc mm. look group sessions with the athlete and the parents always helps or like education tailored to them so if you are doing just a presentation to the athlete something to take home I do find that is a a, um, a limiting factor so and for different reasons sometimes it's 
parents capacity sometimes it's financial reasons like you said depending on like if they're in boarding school so it's always it's never having that one size fits all approach and it's not like this is the only option it's kind of like this is what we're aiming for so a the goal is to apply the fueling framework for a session meal four hours snack two hours primer 30 minutes having a whole heap of examples and nearly getting them to kind of say, how can they apply that? So thinking about what they have access to and what they might be able to do. And for me, it's never about, yeah, like I said, never about perfect. If someone's the classic youth athlete, I've had lunch and I'm training in the afternoon and that's all I've had. Okay. So the goals, three things, let's try and have two. What can we have between finishing school or between the last two classes and nearly putting it on them to kind of solve the solution with all the information that's been presented. But um, yeah, if it's if it's that parent parent child relationship, engaging the parent as much as possible, and always having content available to them because yeah, they will be the ones buying it. Um, and if it's boarding school, like when I present to people here, a lot of them will be doing like an online grocery shop or something. So it's just about you know giving them a few options that they can add to their their online shop or again like ask mum and dad to get or you know some schools are really kind of wanting to kind of level up there's always a friction point between the catering and and what the school wants so it's just gently trying to make some suggestions which isn't going to offend anyone on what might be able to be provided Mm. yeah I think it's really that that progress over perfection is a really important message I think because a lot of you know social media has got a lot to answer for in that respect and that sometimes it pushes you know this kind of ultra clean thing you know all the time and clean eating but I think that kind of a thought process of, of when you're approaching nutrition going okay what's just one step better than this and I remember having a conversation with one of my athletes who was one of those who'd never ate breakfast and I said look I don't even care if you if you have cocoa pops for breakfast just start having something and in a couple of weeks we'll talk about what something better than that is and, you know, that resulted in them having cornflakes or something. I was like, great, at least we're getting something in the system. And we can, you know, maybe it gives us a, a platform to push from. But as long as, you know, for me to turn around and say to him, right, you, you need to have, you know, smoked salmon and scrambled eggs on, to- on whole milk toast with an avocado on the side, that was Mount Everest. That was never going to happen. Yeah. But a bottle of Cocoa Pops was doable. That's it. And it's nearly, it's like, I think it's, you know, one of my approaches is habit first, you know, refined later. So, um, what intention, you know, deliberate first, habit second, refine later, hundred percent. Oh, you know, I've had worked with a lot of different high performance managers and all that over time. And most of them agree with that approach. And then there were, there were some, which were just like aiming for that perfection straight up. And it would nearly like step into my lane and kind of like, yes, I understand what I'm not recommending might not be what I'm aiming for, but there's like method to the madness type thing. And the other area I probably use that quite a bit is after games. So some people just really struggle to eat anything. So I remember like, you know, and this is like top, top, top of the tree kind of athletes like talking about. And it was like, you you tell me what you can eat and I will make that happen. And it's definitely not things I go around like recommending for the athletes, but that helped them train their body to tolerate food, which like once they knew they could actually get something in, then we got, we made it, you know, a bit more appropriate. But um, yeah, I think that habit piece is a really important. And, you know, I think that's nearly the best card that we've got fighting the one percent the sexy one percenters it's like well yeah imagine if you actually like dedicated yourself to something to start and in a few weeks or months it's just what you did and you didn't have to think about it like I feel like that's the trump card or the thing that we've got to try and 
downplay the the shiny one percenters that speak to us so much. Mm. Well, Jess, you've got so much going on. We've already mentioned a few bits around the resources that you pump out. What what are some of the projects and opportunities that are on the horizon for you at the moment? Yeah, so I'm, I guess, really at a stage in my career, like really fortunate, loved professional sport was always my like, you know, my focus and I'm still loosely attached to, um, you know, one of the teams. But for me, I'm really kind of moving into the space of like spreading everything that I've been able to learn and spreading that message to the masses. So, um, you know, I've got my Eat Like the Elite program, which um, at the moment you can sign up to like as an individual, but my focus for the start of 2023, and I've just started doing this to a few schools I already have relationships with is like extending that to group programs and offering it to like school sports programs and sporting organizations. So um, it's an online program, you know, it's being curated from the last 25 years. So it's like, I know what people need and, it's just short snippet videos, great resources, putting that all into practice. So that's a big focus. Um, starting to scale my, like I guess my, my premium coaching programs, um, really enjoying them. So moved away from that traditional model and working a lot deeper with people in like 30 or 60 day kind of programs and then ongoing. Um, and then also I have hosted a podcast before and I'm not at the moment. So that is on the agenda to bring out in the next few months again so really kind of stuck on a name at the moment which is probably the thing holding me up but it is really going to be about like peak performance and using nutrition to like you know not only smash goals in sport but in school work and life so yeah they're probably the big three things that I've got over the next 12 to 18 months mm, amazing and I, th- I it would be remiss of me not to point people towards your social media because you share some absolutely outstanding infographics and one thing I really thought was cool was the examples of hey here's what this particular player eats on match day or eats as a recovery meal and I think the how practical they are is amazing um, and your fueling resource which I personally have downloaded and, and read through and think is great so where can people find some of the incredible free you know resources that you're pumping out there and the infographics that you share yeah thank you I appreciate that um Instagram's the best place for all of that so Jess underscore spendlove underscore dietitian um I know we're going to make the fueling guide available to download in the show notes so you can um you can head there and find that otherwise yeah there's a on my Instagram you can there's a link in bio with a whole heap of things you can access there but um yeah the infographics very popular um I'm all about converting the complex into simple and that's probably another thing I learned like words are helpful but pictures tell you so much more so that is a big piece of my education and it's it's a big part of just how I educate all people so whether I'm speaking my slides whether it's my online program um yeah it's a big part of everything I do it it cuts through people get it a lot more you know nutrition one of my favorite sayings is nutrition is a science but eating is a behavior and so when, you know, I even at times probably gets too stuck talking about, oh, all the elements, proteins, carbs, and it's like, okay, but let's talk foods, let's see the foods, let's see how we do it. And who doesn't want to know what some of the best athletes in, you know, the country or the world are doing. So yeah, the um, the examples always are very popular. Yeah, well, I would definitely people uh, point people towards that, whether it's parents, coaches, et cetera, because they will 100% find practical takeaways and useful things to, to implement um, because there's there's a whole load of information on there. And as you say, really accessible, not the stuff that's technical. You need to get your scales out, some some real practical examples that you could lo- walk into your local shop and find on the shelves, which I think is is 
probably what most people struggle with is that translation from, okay, that's 20 grams of protein, but what does that look like in real life? Um, and you do a great job of, of showing that. So we definitely recommend people head across and, and check that out. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jess. I know, I know you're a busy lady, so I'm going to let you go, but it's been amazing. And really thank you for your expertise and your time today. No, thank you for finding me all the way down here in uh, Australia and reaching out. And um, yeah, would love to connect with anyone who's listened today. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love your support by leaving a rating or review on your chosen podcast player. You can also find us on social media using at LTAD Network. Thanks for listening to this episode. And don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform, as well as 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. We'll be right back.